some of the higher-end recruit guys kind of moving towards the top of the chain. You know, they, I think they wanted Browning to win the job, but they weren't going to give it to him. Um, you know, if we came into this situation with Justin Hilliard, who's gone through a lot of injuries and hasn't lived up to his hype as the starter, we would you could easily spin it as saying, well, that doesn't bode well for the young guys who were supposed to take the job. Um, we've heard nothing but good things about Pete Warner, and I think the OSU staff wants him on the field regardless. And now you, may, you just alluded to it a little bit of – well, when Tough Borland comes back, they named him a captain for a reason. They're, they're expecting him to play this year, which is an amazing recovery, by the way. Uh, but you have to assume that this linebacker trio may not be permanent. And the real big question then at that point is, is does Browning come off the field? Does Warner come off the field? How do they do the rotation? Uh, it's going to be interesting to see. But for one thing is for sure, this is the least experienced linebacker group I can remember at Ohio State but it's also one of the most talented if you pay attention to recruiting rankings. And a guy like Baron Browning, remember, everybody in the country wanted him. So it'll, it'll be fun to see how these guys develop this year. Uh, and I certainly hope that the Shiano touch can improve the quality of the unit from last year. Yeah, regarding Tuff Borland, and you know, we did a story last night, I had a chance to interview him last night after practice, so make sure if you're out there, you haven't, if you haven't checked out our story and video that we posted Last night, make sure you check that out, especially the nine-minute video of Tough Borland. Great stuff. And I'm right, I'm right there next to him, like within like two feet of him. So uh, make sure you check out our, our interview with Tough Borland. But uh, Bax, if you had to guess, I know they're saying that he could play this week. I, I, I seriously doubt that. Even if he could play this week, why even risk that? Um, how soon do you think he will be back actually out on the field? And more importantly, you know, how effective do you think he will be coming off such a serious injury? Well, I don't think we would be talking about him playing if they didn't think he was healthy. Well, let's put that out there. Uh, OSU has been, in many instances, overly cautious with injuries, and that's probably the way you want to have it because you're more concerned about the welfare of the student-athlete than the welfare of the football team. Uh, remember, Jamel Dean wasn't even cleared to play at OSU, and he was playing in the SEC later that year. So there's a little bit of difference in medical opinion in the way people are treated. Uh, 
I think Tuff Borland, when he comes back on the field, will be ready to go. I don't think he's going to be able to be a three-down linebacker. I don't think he's going to play 90% of the snaps, uh, certainly not early on in the season. I do think you're going to see him maybe a little bit against Rutgers just to make sure he gets himself back on live contact where they're hitting somebody else. I think you're going to see a lot more of him against TCU and going forward at that point. But if OSU is smart, they're going to sort of limit his pitch count, if you will. I would not run tough Borland out there at all against Oregon State. That seems pointless. Let the young guys get their experience on the field. Because remember, Tuff Borland last year, of all these guys in this linebacker core, it's going to be – I don't have the exact numbers, but I'm assuming he and Harrison probably combined have 95% of the active snaps of everybody who's expected to play, if you don't include Dante Booker in that group, which I'm not. Um, at this point, you have to think that Borland is going to be good, but I don't think you can rely on him in heavy doses especially early on in the season. It's going to take him a while to get himself back to full motion. And turning to the offensive line, left tackle is going to be Thayer Mumford or Josh Alabi. It looks like it'd be Mumford if he had been healthy throughout camp. I think if he stays healthy, it's going to be Thayer Mumford. But we'll see what Josh Alabi can do. Alabi, however you want to pronounce it. Um, Left guard, Malcolm Pridgen, that's a big story. Mike Jordan at center, that's a huge story right there. Demetrius Knox at right guard, that's a – uh, that's a that's a nervous story right there. The way he graded out last year, according to Pro Football Focus, maybe the light will go on for Demetrius Knox this year. Maybe it has, and then of course the anchor of the line, Isaiah Prince at right tackle backs. Your thoughts on the starting offensive line? I'm more nervous now than I was a week ago. How's that sound? Um, I think this is a first of all, this is the biggest O line I can remember Ohio State ever having. I think the shortest guy is six five or six six. So uh, when you have a six foot six or a six foot seven center, you have a gigantic line. It's a good thing Dwayne Haskins is so tall. Let's put it that way. But I have to say, first of all, we all heard that Theron Munford was the clear cut runaway guy at left tackle, and not getting any information out of camp for a couple weeks, either he didn't perform well or he's been hurt. Because I don't think anybody expected the left tackle position to be a or at the top of the depth chart, right? It should have been Munford clear cut. That's all we heard the whole spring. That's all we heard all off season. So hopefully this just means he missed a week at camp and he's dinged up and they're giving a lobby credit for playing as well as he did in camp. Uh, if he's not going to, if that left tackle spot isn't locked down, then we officially get nervous. And then you alluded to it with the guards. Pridgen's a huge story because we haven't seen the light bulb come on for him yet. He's a guy who in the past we had heard, Hey, you know, he's a really nice guy. And maybe he's too nice to be a big, mean offensive lineman, but he was, all the physical talent in the world. I mean, OSU literally picked him up the last weekend of the year out of a JUCO because they said, we can't not sign this guy. Holy cow, when they saw him in person. And then, you know, the other guard is going to be Demetrius Knox, who, God bless him, has not played well at OSU. I mean, it's not fair to throw the Clemson game on him when he came in and just struggled because he wasn't ready to go. And the offensive line coaching at that situation had – really falling apart with everything going on with the offensive staff that year. But he wasn't great last year. He wasn't a starter last year for a reason. And I, I very much wonder if Brandon Bowen was fully healthy, whether Demetrius Knox would be on the field. And I wouldn't be surprised if by the end of the year, if Brandon Bowen is healthier, he takes that spot back. Remember, he broke his leg less than a year ago. So it's been a while, or not that long, I mean, since, since Bowen's injury came back. And, you know, that's, that's a spot to keep an eye on. Uh, Michael Jordan at center – I'm not as concerned about, but we as Ohio State fans are also completely conditioned to say, 
oh, look, a guard can play center and win the Remington Trophy. No big deal. So, you know, maybe we ought to be more worried about it than we really are, but compared to these other spots on the line, the center position really isn't that much of a worry because you know he at least is a very capable offensive lineman. And I think it also says a lot about what OSU staff wanted to do with the position. Everybody was talking about how Brady Taylor was for sure going to start at center the whole spring, and that clearly didn't happen at this point. And I also think it tells us that Josh Myers certainly isn't ready either if they're moving a junior to center, and everybody kind of thought Myers would be the guy to take over after this year. So, you know, the offensive line, I think, is the biggest story of the Day Shiano press conference that we had the other day, where they were like, all right, so what you expected, throw it all out the window. You know, if you had told me that Munford wasn't the clear-cut starter at left tackle and that you would not have either Brandon Bowen or Michael Jordan starting at guard positions, we would all look at each other and go, whoa. Well, that's what we're doing right now. We're all going, whoa. And I'm hoping that this is just because this line group looked so good that this is the guys who earned the spot versus them going, well, crap, this is the best we can do right now with injuries. And if it is, then that makes this year a little more scary because – the offensive side of the football should be absolutely loaded. And if the offensive line is problematic, you don't win titles, period. Let's close the show with the latest chapter of this uh, crazy saga that has engulfed us all month. Um, Tom Herman and Brett McMurphy. I mean, my goodness. Uh, as you posted on Twitter, I mean, yeah, uh, no coincidence at all that McMurphy gets a, an exclusive sit-down interview with Tom Herman uh, I mean, how ridiculous. I mean, they, I guess, I mean, I'm being facetious here. At least they're owning it. You know, at least they're making it obvious that that they're in cahoots here. Um, I mean, if anyone, seriously, if anyone doubted Jeff Snook was right that Tom Herman was who tipped off Brett McMurphy, this, in my mind, absolutely proves Jeff Snook was right. There's just no doubt about it. Just, I, I know you've been all over this. Just your thoughts on, I mean, my God, they're not even trying to hide it back. Tom Herman sits down with a one-on-one with Brett McMurphy. This is just amazing to me yeah brett mcmurphy the paragon of exceptional unpartial unbiased journalism that hard-hitting interview he gets with tom herman for people who haven't seen it by the way it's a sit-down interview with a black background two dudes on a stool talking back and forth and brett mcmurphy's questions are like tom what's your favorite restaurant in austin what's your favorite part about being a longhorns coach what's your favorite part about being a head coach at a place like texas Right, like they're the doofiest, dumbest, softballest questions you could ever ask for. Like, like Paul Feinbaum couldn't ask Nick Saban easier questions, right? And that's the crap McMurphy is slinging to, to Tom Herman. And I saw that, and I just started laughing. Like I literally, just, I couldn't stop laughing. Like, wow, Brett McMurphy, the hard-hitting journalist that he is, totally ready to ask Tom Herman about that strip club visit with uh, Zach Smith that totally changed OSU's policy for coaches on the road. Waiting for that question? Nope. All right, maybe uh, Tom Herman, you know, sitting there talking with uh, Brett McMurphy about the whole scandal and stuff, and obviously, you know, he, he helps financially support Courtney Smith in this case. Can't wait to hear what he says about that. Nope. Oh, wait, wait, Tom Herman, who was super close with Zach Smith while he was at OSU, maybe he ought to have known some of the stuff that was going on if their wives were so close. Wait, I can't wait till he asked him about that. Wait, nope. Hey, show me exactly how to do the hook'em horns hand motion. It was the most ridiculous thing ever, and it's just the quid pro quo of Brett McMurphy making Tom Herman look as good as possible at, while using him as the source for this story, and it's essentially two guys scratching each other's backs. And here's something that's worth noting. We know this at Bucknuts directly, that Tom Herman likes certain reporters. There's a reason he had cell phone numbers of many Bucknuts staffers while he was here. Uh, 
Tom Herman likes to talk to reporters, and if he thinks you're on his side, he will back you up. He will give you lots of access. He will answer questions. He will give you inside stuff. That happened in Ohio State with Bucknuts, right? Uh, the downside of that is he gets so comfortable with you, he calls Bucknuts and asks for your columnist back to his phone number so his wife can yell at him, but I digress. So this is Tom Herman's pattern of how he interacted with reporters at OSU. And guess what? This is the exact same thing. We know full well what's going on here, and that's that Tom Herman was 100% the person who tipped all this off. And, man, I, I really look forward to the day when Ohio State gets to play Texas. And, I, unfortunately, Texas won't be good enough to make a college football playoff anytime soon because their team still is not in good shape. But it's amazing to me how little flack Tom Herman has gotten throughout this whole process, especially with the strip club story coming out and everything. And it's even more amazing that anybody can look at Brett McMurphy and say he's some – unbiased journalist when he clearly has an agenda and his agenda was to bring down Urban Meyer in Ohio State and Tom Herman helped him with it. Great stuff as always from the People's Champ Matt Baxendale. He's a must listen every Wednesday here on the BM5. His column is a must read every Sunday. It is the bucket. Thank you very much, Bax. And thank you all the listeners out there for tuning in the show. I appreciate it. Hope you have a great day. Let's hear that Buckeye swag. Best damn band in the land. Five, five, five.